Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 140, Double or Nothing. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Christopher DeFilippis's evil twin brother, <laughs> Matt Dale. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Had I only known, Matt. <laughs> we were really separated at birth. Really separated. <laughs> I, I've, got an, I've got an evil goatee. I know you can't tell on radio, but... <laughs> the British accent, so... Yes. That could be evil. That could be construed as evil. That always works. Right? Look at so, Carolyn Seymour, right? The accent plays, man. The accent plays. <laughs> well, in case it's not evidence, we are reconvening the Quantum Leap Podcast book club, and today we will be discussing book nine in the QL novel series, Double or nothing. Uh, that's where Mac gets the twin joke, because this is a twins book. But uh, the book is by C.J. Henderson and Laura and Gilman. And just to refresh everybody's memory, who wants to read the blurb? Uh, I don't have the blurb up in front of me. I don't have the book in front of me. I have the book right in my hot little hands. I just wanted to embarrass you guys. One no. Leap, Two Bodies, May 10th, 1986. Sam leaps into a hard-living trucker, faced with family and financial disaster. May 10th, 1986. Sam leaps into a brilliant university professor, a man who seems to have it all. Back at the project, Ziggy announces she is sick. The man in the waiting room won't wake up, and Al, unable to contact Sam, is feeling increasingly desperate. As of May 10th, 1986, Sam is on a collision course with himself, trapped in twin brothers who are mortal enemies, quantum leap, double or nothing, all new adventure, first time in print. Bum, bum, bum. <sighs> That's a lot. That's a lot. So, hey, yeah. So I don't know about you guys, like how long it took you. Um, I woke up at about four o'clock this morning and I read this book. I was done by about eight. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, a very similar story for me. Not exactly a deep read, but uh, not exactly unenjoyable. Do you guys want to do some initial impressions of Double or Nothing? Allison Pregler. This book um, is absolutely insane. Um, but also, uh, we discussed this before. Uh, this is a book that was pitched by someone who did not write it. And I could tell that the people writing it um, did not pitch the idea because it read like uh, in school when you have an essay and you gotta spread the word <laughs> count out a bit and you're like I don't know just keep adding some stuff in and keep circling the toilet that's what it felt like <laughs> circling the toilet wow yeah uh, yeah well let's put a pin in that I want to talk about that a little bit but uh, Matt what are your initial impressions of Double or Nothing yeah very similar look I love the concept. Uh, I, I'm very excited by the whole idea. I think Laura Ann Gilman, uh, who, who later went on to write a whole bunch of stuff, but just wasn't particularly well known at the time, uh, had a fantastic idea. Chris Henderson, who appears to be mainly a, a horror writer um, and, and probably has very little interest in the genre or this particular subject. Oh, dear. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think this was a great idea for uh, the written medium. For a variety of reasons we'll get on to. But yeah, uh, good idea, bad execution. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. Um, I have to say, there are some good bits in this book, and I did find myself enjoying some of it. But it really does have all the earmarks of a book written by somebody who had a premise thrust upon them and a deadline looming. Yeah. So, so they really had to, you know, just get it in and get it done. And for all that, I mean, it's not unreadable, but the scenes do show in some places. So I I heard from Ginger what happened with this book when I met her, maybe the second or third time she was talking to me about it. But Matt, is there a section about this in Beyond the Mirror Image for this book? Like, do you have like an official story that you have included in your research before I tell my anecdotal one? No, um, at the time I wrote the book, in 2016, I had no information on this. So I didn't, I didn't guess. I have my hypotheses that I've just shared up front. And if you are about to smash through it all, good. Um, and yeah, I, I was preparing to do some research for the, the new edition over the coming months. Chris unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Uh, Laura is still out there. And obviously, whatever you're about to share is fascinating. I am, I am edge of seat. Well, I don't know if you know this, but Laura Ann Gilman was an associate editor when I sold my book. She worked with Ginger. And um, Ginger, according to a story that she told me, this is a story that I heard probably 25 years ago, maybe closer to 30 years ago, so I might be misremembering, but she said that um, Chris had sold her the book. That's C.J. Henderson, Chris Henderson, who, like you said, Matt, he passed recently, but um, he had the premise and he sold her the book, but then he came back to her and he said, I just, I, I can't pull it off. I can't do it uh, for whatever reason. I don't know if he was unfamiliar with the show or unfamiliar with the characters and he was just looking for a quick sale. I don't want to besmirch like his work ethic or his name or what happened, but at the end of the day, he just wasn't able to get the book done for them. So they took it in-house and that's where Laura came in. Oh, I had this the wrong way around. Yeah, yeah. No, it was Chris's sale. That's why his name is on the cover. But if you look in, it says with Laura Ann Gilman. And Laura, Laura, now I don't know how much of this is Chris's that Laura uh, extrapolated and expanded upon or how much of this is purely Laura's. I have no idea. I guess we'd have to ask Laura about that. Which I would like to do. Yeah, so maybe we can figure out a way to contact. I'm sure Ginger still has her number, so... Talk to me offline. I'll get you in, in touch with my yeah. people. My people <laughs> call your people. Yeah, so that was the story that she told me about the book. And I think another reason why I think I've related this on the show before, when I first met Liz Storm and I sat down with Liz and Ginger, Ginger kept on like just asking me casual questions about the show and like really getting to gauge my knowledge. And that's what Liz said. She said she was testing you. She wants to make sure you know these characters before she even talks to you further about the possibility of selling a book. Because, um, you know, I guess maybe this had happened at that point. Yeah, this is an early book in the run. I mean, relatively early compared to mine anyway. So I, I guess yeah. I didn't want another situation like that to happen. So I guess I just I find it interesting because, like I said, I, I mean, I'm not familiar with either author particularly, but Chris seemed to mainly do work in other genres which is why i assumed he was the one that finished it off because it just didn't it didn't seem like something he'd have pitched um, but i can see now why if he did pitch it he then backed off realizing it's it's not his area and laura from what i can tell yeah she although she's written a lot most of it seems to have been after that so this might be an, an early work for her that made her uh, inspired her to get out of editing and into writing full time which is which is really interesting yeah, I, I mean, I could tell that, I guess the bulk of it was written by her, um, that I, I could tell that it was someone who was a fan of the show and uh, a fan of the books. Because right at the beginning, there's a dedication to Ginger Buchanan and Ashley McConnell. There's several references to mm -hmm. Ashley McConnell's universe. It's part of the McConnellverse, you yes. know? <laughs> um, it certainly so is. So I don't really blame like uh, Laura Ann Gilman or C.J. Henderson for how the writing turned out. It just did turn out as a mess because of whatever circumstances led to that. But I could tell it was written by someone who had uh, who did like the show and had good intentions. And there's such a, an intriguing concept here, but it just didn't come together in the end. Yeah, and let's read the the uh, I guess it's the dedication with due gratitude and humble thanks to Ginger Buchanan, editor of Patience, and Ashley McConnell, who understood. Now, should I read into that? Was it a toss up between Laura getting it and Ashley getting it to finish, and Laura won out? Who knows? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess like if it, if I were Ginger Buchanan and all of a sudden I was on a deadline and I needed to get someone to write this book quick, uh, Ashley McConnell would be the one to go to, right? I mean, she'd written a few, like the most of anyone in the line. 
That, and you got to think that Laura, who was probably an aspiring writer at the time, had edited most of these along with Ginger. So who knew the book series better to come in yeah. and do like a cleanup, you know, cleanup job. So if you, if you get a, if you get a chance to talk to Laura about that, Matt, get like the skinny if you can. It's so interesting to me, you yeah. know, the way this one came together. But I guess, you know, they had the slot. They probably already had the cover done. And, uh... <laughs> it's actually, I just thought of it. It's so fitting. This was made by two people at war with what they could accomplish. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, it's two things smashed together into one big pile and <laughs> trying to become cohesive. Alison, that that is going to be the smartest thing we say during this podcast. <laughs> Look, this book is ridiculous. But you know what? I was super excited to read it again. I was excited to read it the first time I read it. I don't think it's a good book, but I love that it's just the, a gimmick that they go with. Like, it's such a crazy concept. And I do love the the idea of it and the fact that they, they kind of go there with some of it in, in ways that I would never really want to see on the show. But in the books, it's like, anything's possible. Let's go into complete fanfic land. Let's go into, all right, Sam is, <laughs> is split into two people and he's a good twin and an evil twin that emphasizes <laughs> dark and good sides. And there's a, an evil environmental pollution plot going on <laughs> there's pollution warriors coming to get them al's going insane it's it's just great okay okay but <laughs> this is uh, you mentioned the the gimmick and this is the bit that i think i've just got to get this out this is why i think this was a, a a failed idea for the written medium in the first place because of the nature of the the show and the book series most of the characters don't call sam sam fine Sam is acting out of character. Right. Al isn't around to call him Sam. So effectively, we're reading about two completely different characters. It, it feels <laughs> like, it just feels like a totally standalone novel that's got nothing to do with Quantum Leap because if it was, if it was on screen, if it was on screen, you'd be seeing Scott Bakula doing it and you'd right. have that connection. But you can't have that connection in a book as soon as he starts to act out of character. See, here's the thing. I think it could have worked as a book. I think the execution just kept dropping the ball on all of the interesting things they could do with it. Uh, for people who haven't read the book, uh, maybe need a refresher, uh, Sam leaps into twins. It splits him in half because this is a mind leap. So it's like his mind is split mm. in half. So uh, each side is um, depending on the personality traits of the twins that he's leaped into to kind of fill in the gaps. So there's a good Sam and there's an evil Sam because one of the twins is a bad guy and one of them is an upstanding citizen. And um, I, I really – I think they dropped the ball by making this yet another book where Sam and Al are separated. A yeah. majority of the books have done this, and I don't know why, because that's the the secret sauce. That's the magic stuff yeah. that makes Quantum Leap work so well. But they decided yet again it's a separate one, which is crazy to me, because if you're going to do a book where Sam is acting out of character – Al is the person who would know what his character is, but he never gets to bounce off of him at any point. It's just inner monologues while he's trucking or doing professor stuff or whatever, basically the same scene over and over again, while Al is freaking out or bored at the project when they could be doing so much more interesting stuff. And any of the, the interesting promise of that, uh, the premise that they've pitched here um, is just glossed over. When Al finally gets in touch with him, this is 20 pages till the end of the book. Mm -hmm. 20 pages left. And then when they get to the part where he's got to tell Sam that, hey, you're both this guy, you've been split into two people, the book literally just goes like, and then he told Sam that, and then he's like, whoa, that's weird. Like, he doesn't actually show him telling him yeah. that. It's just, and then he told him that. Like, why did we spend so much time <laughs> on trucking bullshit when we could have been seeing the interesting part? And this is the thing, like, if Al had been with him all along, then we would have seen more of this through Al's eyes. We could have connected it to Sam, and that, that was the big struggle for me. I couldn't connect it to Sam. You need Al as that touchstone yeah. that you can just watch Sam through and go, oh, hey, that's weird, but at least know that it's Sam. And it's not as if Al was even doing anything interesting in his plotline that made it no. worthwhile. He's just freaking out. Uh, it's mm, waste. I think I would agree with you more, Matt, if there were actually um, other characters in this book 
Uh, mm-hmm. besides Sam and Al, because there are maybe four named characters who get cursory time um, at best. And this is mainly an inner dialogue kind of book or a back at the project kind of book. So I had no trouble seeing Sam as Sam because the whole thing was him just bitching about, and it was told, told mainly, okay, so the two brothers, there's Wade slash Ward. He was named both in my version of the book. Yeah, it, it shows no, I up read repeatedly. It yeah. yeah, I was like, who's Wade? Oh, wait. Right. <laughs> So Wade slash Ward is the one that gets the evil part of Sam, the selfish part of Sam that doesn't want to leap anymore, that just wants to be selfish and stick around. And then um, the good twin is Mork. And I mean, most of the book seemed to focus on the Wade portion of Sam, because I guess maybe she found that a bit more interesting to write. Sam being done, Sam being tired, Sam being selfish, Sam doing things that are so completely and utterly alien to what Sam might do. Yeah, the more interesting one is evil Sam, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, that also led to some very problematic things to me. Um, I think that, okay, if you're going to do a good and evil, that's fine. But we have Sam, like, leaping into this problematic host who is, you know, at least at least verbally abusive to his wife. Physically, too. They seem to act like he is he's physically abusing her as well. I only say mm-hmm. I say at least because we didn't see him hit them in the book or and she didn't say, you know, they didn't allude to them having bruises or anything. I I think they did allude to to physical harm as well. All right. It's a bad relationship regardless. And Wade is not the kind of guy, you know, who you want to say. I mean, when Sam wakes up in this book, he goes downstairs and they're leaving. Like they they drugged him up and boozed him up and thought he would be asleep until dinner so that they could escape this monster. And then Sam talks them into staying. And they never address that in the book because a a big part of the book is like Sam asking, well, what happens when the hosts come back? And he decided he didn't care because he just wanted to stay. But that's the question I was, I was, this is Sam. Sam is convincing this woman to stay in an abusive relationship because he wants to stay there and he's not Wade. But the second he leaps and Wade comes back, what makes him think it's going to be any different? And they gloss over it. Yeah. They gloss over it at the end of the book. Al says, even even Wade and uh, what's the wife's name? I'm sorry. Betty. Betty. Yeah. Even Wade and Betty somehow managed to make it. I, it's like, what? <laughs> I mean, you just really- yeah, they seem to act like him- Talking things out with his brother made him a better person. It's like, excuse me, Ward does not get a redemption in this. He should not get a redemption, but they seem to have redeemed it, even though a good portion of the the bad Sam's logic is that, well, Ward was a piece of shit anyway, so why don't I just take his life? It's it, Just take him out of the equation, and then I don't have to leap anymore. They're going to have a great uh, husband and father, and uh, this is all going to work out. So he's he has some sort of logic in his mind about this. But at the same time, he's doing these shitty things that Ward was doing. Like, he's sleeping around. Uh, he's manipulating them. Uh, at one point, he starts, like, hitting himself in the head to, like hurt himself because he feels so bad i don't know there's all this crazy stuff going on and i feel like it is not addressed in a proper way at the end no not at all and that's what struck me as i I guess when you had mentioned i guess a conceit of the book and it took me a while to to jive with this because i i think maybe i can even see where laura might have started to take over but like you said allison a a conceit of the book is that since Sam is split in half, he's getting, you know, filled in by more of the character traits of the people that he's leapt into. So right. when he comes downstairs, he's clearly selfish. He is clearly manipulative. Mm-hmm. And just like any abusive scumbag, he's going to paint himself as the victim in this scenario. Yeah, and little, right. little things that he says to her, like, oh, what happened to us? Or, you know, you haven't been like this since forever or something like that. And he says something to the effect of, well, I'm just the guy you let me turn into. Like, it's not my fault. You know what I mean? And then when, you know, he feels like he's losing them or he needs to gin up more like sympathy, he starts whacking himself in the head and crying because, oh, poor me, poor me. It's just like, shut up. You know, it's just like, (laughs) you are such a manipulative scumbag. And it's just like, uh, Uh, well, that's why they needed to have Alan the story. Yeah. To be a foil to this. It's so much of Sam just being a jerk unquestioned. So that that's why part of the book, it doesn't work as well. Because if you want sneering, evil, abusive Sam, you want to have some pullback against it, you know, or pushback yes. against it. Uh, but it doesn't happen. So it's just like, we're just watching Sam be a shitty person for, <laughs> for most of okay. this. It, it does happen when they introduce the brother somewhat. 
but it's a different Sam, right? So, right. There's the good Sam, but he's also the boring Sam because he's just like doing professor stuff and like nothing of interest happens. I started skimming because I'm like, this is so boring. And then, like, finally it gets to their like environmental warrior meetings. And then I'm like, all right, I'm kind of interested again. But I never found the professor part that, that interesting. Th- there was like some parts, I guess, like, had a sliver of something to it. The fact that, like, he's more into leaping as the good Sam, and he's thinking, like, idly, like, yeah, I guess if I had to step in the accelerator again, I, yeah, I would do it again. Yeah, because leaping's great. It, it was kind of something. I see your point about the environmental stuff, but that came literally 50% of the way through the novel, and I made a note at that point saying, at last, plot begins. Oh, yeah, yeah. For the most part, he's just like, I don't know what to do, and Al's not here. Both the good and the bad halves of Sam, the whole first half of the novel is in a monologue. In a monologue, as Chris, you mentioned, and fair enough, but that's the kind of stuff that's interesting for one chapter. And it's literally the whole, almost to the page, the whole first half of the novel are both Sams walking around, plus Al dealing with the Zigster. Um, <laughs> I wrote that. I was like, Jesus. he calls them Zigster, or Zigster, yeah. and son yeah. of a bitch in one word. And Zig. I yeah, I don't know. It's just a lot of pontificating. The whole yeah. thing is so off balance, and maybe that's where uh, maybe that's where Laura took over, where the, the plot actually starts, such as the plot ends up being. Yeah, there's way too much inner monologue going on. I feel like there's some parts of it that are intriguing to me because. Sam seems to have a, a voice in his head that's talking to him, and like he's kind of losing his mind a little bit, maybe uh, because he's split into two people, um, part of the other person is uh, speaking to him, maybe it's just, you know, his his head, which I, I thought was kind of interesting, but again, does not need to be so much of the book. But then they also do that with Al, and I'm like, why is Al so insane in this book? He's not split into two people. <laughs> like, it kind of took away from the insanity of that, because everyone yeah. seemed to be losing their mind in this I, book. I have, a, I have a theory about that, and this is what, what really struck me with the book. I said, oh my god, we're in for it, here we go again. Because when Sam leaves in, he is manifestly acting not like Sam. Like, there is nothing about this character that says anything Sam to me. And I'm thinking, oh, crap, this is the way they're going to write Sam throughout the whole book. And then you get to the first chapter back at the project, and Al is just an asshole. He's just a mean <laughs> asshole. And <laughs> Son I, of a bitch! Zigster! Exactly! And, the rings of hell! <laughs> you know? And he's just like, you know, he pushes everybody to their limit because, you know? He's just supposed to be like this total hard-ass. And... I feel like those are the first chapters that maybe CJ started with and just couldn't figure out the characters, couldn't do it. And then Laura comes in and sort of tempers that a bit. It makes sense as the story goes on because they do give you the conceit that the hosts are filling in for the missing parts of Sam. So it's taking a little while for Sam to reassert himself to become more Sam as he gets centered in these personalities. And and I feel like the book handled that better than I expected it would. Yeah. Once they got to Sam as the professor, once they got to the Mark character, I felt like Sam was back because he is optimistic. He is altruistic. But of course, they're making it like he's too much so. He wants to leap forever. Mean Sam wants to stay back forever. You know, he never wants to leap again. (laughs) And I don't know that they did as good a job like making the good Sam a weaker character. I can't help but think of the enemy within. I was I was going to say everything you're saying here is just enemy within, but it is. I mean, but it's 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 data lore. It's enemy within. It's it's Jekyll and Hyde. It's just you know it, it's it's an old trope, and it's interesting the way that they tried to do this in Quantum Leap, but I I, I don't know that they did anything besides maybe just vet the premise and then had nowhere to go with it. And that's why we have nothing but a bunch of inner monologues throughout saying one bitching that he never wants to leap again, the other one bitching that he should be leaping forever, you know? Yeah, well, the two Sams barely interact. Hmm. So you don't really get a lot of that struggle. It's just Sam being these two people for so much of the book. You barely get any of the the interesting part of the premise. Like they have a little chat at the end. I when they get to the little wrap up where they're like, "Ah, oh, we have to accept these things or we have to, you know, come together as one person kind of thing." It just felt like so much of the book was not that. 
Mm, so much of yeah. it was, uh, like Matt was saying, pontification, uh, especially like with Al's part. He's not even thinking about this situation because he doesn't know about the twin thing for most of it. He just knows that the person in the waiting room in Sam's body is not talking. So he's just thinking about all sorts of random shit. He's thinking about when uh, he was an astronaut and eating a bunch of food in zero gravity. I mean, it's just <laughs> just thinking of things to say to fill the page. Yeah, that's, yeah, page filler, there's a lot of that. But there was, I think, one aspect of the back at the project stuff that I found somewhat intriguing. And, you know, it's a conceit of the novels that um, the the present is constantly shifting in smaller, bigger ways around the project, depending on where Sam is during a leap, right? And right. Al is usually the, the only one that notices those changes because of his connection with Ziggy and with Sam. In this one, Ziggy is, quote, sick, so she shut down, and Al is basically untethered from that connection for a while. And I think that's what's driving him insane, because he is now as prone to all of these changes that he's not even noticing anymore as everybody else and it's sort of like this disconnect that's happening in his head and literally driving him mad and they back away from that once Ziggy comes back online a little bit he he becomes a little bit more centered again a little bit more focused because he has his tether back so I, I think that Again, if you're going to point to clever things in this book, I felt like they handled that a little bit cleverly or more cleverly than I had anticipated they would. You know, I just found that a little bit interesting in a sea of monologuing. I found. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was one scene where Al is talking to Tina and then she becomes another character mid scene and then another character mid scene. Right. And, and then, and then he they all does disappear. not notice. Yeah. And then he's right. just like, why didn't anyone come to this meeting? I don't know why I bother calling them. And it was just one scene where that happened. And I'm like, that was really interesting. But mm. again, there's nothing else like this in the book. They don't really capitalize on it. It just, it's a lot of just circling the drain for things to talk about. Yeah, you said you glossed over some of the inner monologue stuff. I started to glance over when um, Al was literally observing and describing how he thrummed his fingers on the desk. And there's yeah, also I got a scene pretty where, bored at parts like that. Yeah, and Sam is is like preparing a buffet for his environmental gang, and she's literally <laughs> going through everything. He's chopping cheese and making vegetables. Oh yeah, I was like, they're just describing snacks, and then I skimmed down to where like actual things were <laughs> exactly. happening. I it's absolutely like, skimmed it's over like, that. No, wow, you really needed to just eke up that word count just a little bit. <laughs> I had to put the book down and go to the fridge. <laughs> when like, Al was talking about angry. his inner voice and he's like, it's Mama Gerstein because that was his mother-in-law with his third wife or something. And I'm like, what is going on? Just get to the point. Just get to the point. Well, it's a little bit of lore, right? Al's got a mother-in-law now. It was supposed to be Ruthie's mother, so that's his third wife. Yeah. So I guess her name was Ruth Gerstein yeah. before they got married. And well, she could have kept her surname, I guess. But sure. Uh, one character at the project I actually liked more in this one than some of the other ones was Verbena. I don't know if I could speak to a specific part. I just thought she was written a little less boring than some of the other books that I found with her. I did think it was weird when she was saying things like sure enough and honey child yeah. just in one scene. Like I was like, why? It's so inconsistent. There was a lot of disconnect there because in one scene, Al is just like, you know, you have to drug the leapy so that we can wake up and he's at odds with her. And then in the same scene, he's like hugging her and they're like saying we should be in the talent show together and like crap like that with the honey child. I'm like, and he sings Volari. <laughs> it's like, what, what is going on here? I like it at least like more was happening than like just discussing drugging people. That's part of it. But man, Verbena just loves to drug people in the other books. So at least in this one, she had a little bit of a qualm about it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, I thought the stuff with Tina now, there was a little bit in there that was showing them as in somewhat of a relationship. What do they interact with each other like uh tina's working on ziggy because ziggy's sick and it wasn't just flirty stuff they were doing a little bit more with tina they also um tina's described as the design engineer that made ziggy possible i don't know if they said that before that she helped design it yeah i think that ashley established that in her books oh, like okay. um yeah she was like the architect and um sort of the hardware person that helped sam realize the dream that he had mm -hmm. for ziggy i guess to bring it into reality and um gushy is like the programmer he does the software stuff yeah. right 
So, and she, like you said, she references the McConnell verse a couple of times here. Yeah, the tie gets mentioned. Yeah. In Too Close, like Too Comfortable. Yeah. yeah, Too Close, Too Comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and um, also the wall is alluded to because Sam says something like, usually when I leap in, I'm getting something or other or hit by my mom or something like that. And obviously yeah. the only time we've ever seen Sam getting beat up by his mom is uh, in the wall. So, or, right. or being beat up in a jail cell, which is possibly freedom. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I mean, again, they. I, I don't think Laura didn't know the characters. I think that she was just hampered by a premise that maybe, you know, again, was thrust upon her. And yeah. she tries to explain it, at least, um, in the sense that she, she says, or Ziggy at some point says that they theorize that a temporal surge was responsible for the split. So, like, what what does that mean? Like, what's a temporal surge? <laughs> I'm trying to figure that one out. Matt, theories. <laughs> I got nothing. It's like a quantum bubble or something. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but why would that tear Sam's soul in half? I don't know. I don't know. How does a quantum surge happen? I mean, you throw in techno babble, but... <laughs> it's a temporal surge, thank you very much, not a quantum surge. Get it right. <laughs> It's very important. Yeah, I don't know what any of that is, but like I kind of took it as because this is going with the mind leap like a lot of books do, where um, it's Sam's body at the project and his mind leaping around in time for whatever reason, because it's twins, that was, in my mind, the exception. You know, maybe it just confused the leap a little bit, and that's why Sam ended up in two people, two people ended up in Sam's body. Like, I don't know what a temporal surge is, but I at least kind of gathered because it's twins. That's why there was some strange exception here. It was a freak nuclear accident. Yeah. (laughs) Chris is going to tell me off here for imagining that everything takes place in the same universe, but he did leap into a twin in one of the comics and everything was cool. Just one twin. Yeah, just one of the twins though, right? Yeah. That one wasn't very good. I want to see, if you're going to do a twin (laughs) book, you got to have a a gimmick like this. You got to do the good and the evil twins because I want to see a good and evil Sam. Uh, I just think this was a bad version of that. <laughs> yes. They also um they referred to Sam's body in the waiting room as his physical shell. It's just so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I always took it. So you know me. Yeah. A hollow husk. <laughs> his hollow husk. Ugh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's got his glam squad that shaves him and bathes him and wipes him <laughs> and cuts his hair. And- oh, right. But yeah. if you just yeah the the whole thing with the two twins being in the same body, uh, they're comatose through most of this. So again, throwing away an interesting premise of like these two people in in one body. Until we got the magic elixir that no science could crack. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just bring him some coffee. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> the coffee woke him up, and they're acting like it's some genius thing. And I'm like, oh, did I miss something? Verbena's like, oh my god, of course, that's coffee. And like, um, why is she so sure that this would work, and why does it work? <laughs> but we see so little of these two men in one body talking to each other. That it just feels like throwing away that part of the premise. Like, all of the interesting parts are, like, a couple pages, basically. Yeah, and even when they are talking to one another, you don't get that inner dialogue between Wade and Mark. You get uh, Verbena and Al observing it, and maybe a little bit of errant dialogue that's just sort of hinting what they're talking about. And it's another thing that would have worked really well on screen seeing Scott Bakula shift between two different characters, Gollum and Schmeagol, like, um, (laughs) that would have been great. On the page, it doesn't work so much uh, because it's just, yeah, like you say, maybe maybe if it was more in a dialogue between them kind of having a discussion, fine, but just, yeah, he said this and then he said this and then he said this. I I can't visualise it as well as it would have, as, as, as it should be. I think they just needed to put more inner monologue with them and less with the other Sams constantly. Yeah, exactly. Now. Yeah, you just need to have, like, actual things happening with the other characters. Oh, they could have They could have had the characters, like, uh, standing in this kind of uh, cloudy, uh, cloudscape, like, in the um, <laughs> in Revenge <laughs> of the Evil Leaper. Over. <laughs> yes, exactly. Dressed like the Wicked Witch of the West. Flowing yes. hoods on and stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> They I would have to, enjoyed that. To, 
hypnotize Sam to find out what's going on. <laughs> that also would have gone a long way to maybe allaying some of my trepidation about the return of Wade. And I found the passage that I was alluding to when we first mentioned that. It's on page 150. Often in the past, he had wondered what happened to people after he leaped onto his next assignment. He had made heroes of so many people in so many different ways to turned so many ordinary, regular folk into risk-takers. What happened to them the next time someone expected them to act like a man with a mission, or a woman with unbelievable powers of insight, or a child with boundless courage? What happened the next time in their lives someone thought they could count on the person he had been to be that person again, and they were only themselves? And that, to me, sums up every problem I have with Sam leaving and Wade returning. Now, if you had had the inner monologue where Wade, Ward, and Mark... We're talking to each other, and Wade came to some sort of breakthrough mm-hmm. as as a result of, of that discussion, because they did lean heavily on the idea of nature versus nurture. The twins were separated when their parents got divorced. Uh, Wade Ward went with his abusive alcoholic father, and therefore the cycle of abuse continues. And Mark went with his mother, who married some shishi college professor and went to private schools. And, you know, he was he was brought up to, uh, to, to be different. So they do lean on the fact that this is learned behavior in a lot of ways not so much that it's it's irreparable. So why not use the inner dialogue to say, hey, if you're going to do a redemption arc for a character that is basically called a shit from the get-go, then let's see some redemption. Don't just right. say, yeah, are they just, even they managed to make it, huh? You know? Why? Like, it's yeah. like, why would... <laughs> guy was dumping nuclear weapons into crevices to be set off by earthquakes and shit like al was comparing him to hitler Hitler, <laughs> yes, like, hitler. he calls him uh, it, what doesn't he say some line about like there's a world of weapons out there and you're walt disney or yeah <laughs> it's, that's in the last 20 pages when he's in <laughs> yeah the last 20 pages when something was happening <laughs> exactly yeah yeah if you're gonna compare someone to hitler you better show why they're not hitler anymore <laughs> by the time they get back into their body you can't just pontificate about it and say like well i guess it worked out yeah this is the Giorgio problem where you have you know someone that's irredeemable but all of a sudden you need them to be a redeemable character because this book had the problem of uh quantum leap 2022 which i never rag on do you want to see a plot happen, or do you want to see characters talk about the plot? <laughs> okay. Do you want to like the lot? So much of this is just thinking about it and not doing anything. I agree with that as an assessment of this novel. Yes. Yeah, I, I'd venture to say that 2022 has a lot more going on. And a lot more, a lot more character work. How many work scenes anyway. are them at the project discussing right, time Allison, travel when you can you see time it. travel? Chris, it sucks. <laughs> We know you can't stand it. Um, Question. (laughs) This is something that I found interesting. And um, (laughs) I don't know if it's ever been posed in any of the other books, but Laura or CJ, whoever came up with the thought, posits that Sam's leaping is almost like a punishment for leaping in time and breaking it. Yeah. And he's got to leap to another point where there's a crack in time, but then when he tries to fix that crack, like two or 20 more cracks spread out from that. And so it's, it's almost like a, like a fool's errand. He'll never stop having to try to quote, fix something. So I, I, I never, before this book, I heard any supposition where leaping is like a, a penance. Have, have we heard that before? Or is that new to this book? I mean, I think like, it's probably been alluded to a little bit on the show. You know, like, maybe this is some punishment for something that he did, but I think, you know, this explored a bit of that. Like, what if he messed with time too much and he has to be punished for it? I guess that's part of his conflict in this book. Yeah, but they make it like he was messing with time. right? So right out the gate from leap one, when he leaped, something broke. And now it's his job to fix it. It's his penance. And that, to me, is antithetical to the premise of the show because he's out there doing the right thing, putting wrong what once went uh, – putting right what once went wrong. I almost right. made him an evil leaper. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I think that's part of his his inner struggle there. It's not meant to literally be like this is a punishment. I think he's just thinking of it that way because like – because he was messing with time. But also, I mean, they have a, a part of the book where Gushy says that Sam jumbled time. 
and has to be brought back to cure the rift created by his first leap, as if, like, leaping is just trying to, like, fix a, a rift in time? I don't know if that was ever part of the premise, really. No, I, I, yeah, and I think the implication there is by the very nature of Sam traveling in time, it created some kind of schism. So now yeah. he's responsible for cleaning it up and they won't be able to get him home until they somehow fix that schism. Yeah, but that seems to imply that he has caused all of the bad things he's fixing to happen. Exactly. And that's not, yeah, yeah, and that's butterfly effect stuff. Yeah, but that's not what, <laughs> what the show has ever implied. That was, He's like fixing things because God or time or fate or whatever decided to fix it. By save, saving uh, Peg and uh, little Samantha Stratton, that stuffs up the life of a ball player who he then has to go and help, and that oh, then stuffs no. up the life of a college professor who he has to go and help, and that then stuffs... It, it just, yes. That changes the entire premise of Quantum Leap. If you think, like, the first leap he was meant to not change anything, but because he made someone else's life better, all of these other bad things happen that he has to fix. Like, yeah. it's 100 Good Deeds of Eddie McDowd or something. Every episode, he's gotta, <laughs> he's gotta fix it. <laughs> it's My Name is Earl. <laughs> my name is Earl, all the bad things. You also have to wonder, like, the uh, when he goes back to, say, uh, play it against Seymour, at that point in the show, that's the earliest he's let back to. So what can he possibly have done during the first season that could have screwed up Seymour and Co's lives? So yeah, I don't think that works. It's a nice idea, though. Well, it's not a nice idea, it's a dumb idea, but it's a fun idea. <laughs> I think it makes the show less optimistic. That's yes, kind of yeah. the beauty of, of Quantum Leap is that, like, it's just about helping people for whatever reason. Either Sam or some higher power or whoever is controlling the leaps just thinks you got to help people. Yeah, that's, that's the way it. I always took it. But you know what? This could be an alternate universe because it's Zigster leaping him in this one. The not Ziggy, Zigster. So. <laughs> the Zig. Zigster. Zigster. I, I didn't understand how some of this stuff works. So, um... Sam briefly goes to the waiting room yeah. uh, before leaping into the twins. And I don't know what that was or what that meant. I, I don't either. Could it be like he was drawn in? Like, could it be part of his soul ripping in half? Uh, like uh, maybe, I, I, I don't know. I, I tried to figure that out. Or does that something that he might see every leap because he, he temporarily I, I can see through his- If he I, temporarily yeah. comes back every time. I mean, that's such a kind of- intriguing and horrifying idea but it doesn't go anywhere yeah and maybe he doesn't remember it you know but uh but why is it in the book <laughs> because reasons <laughs> yeah i don't know um because that that fascinated me the first time i read it i was just like oh my god like why he's he's back is he home like what's going on here and then all of a sudden it's I guess the temporal surge happens mm. and it ties his soul in knots and rips it in half is the, I think the way they said it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just got me. I don't know why they did it. Could it be so that you could see the twins being ushered into his body, but you didn't see anything, you know, it's not like he felt two entities pass him Yeah, to occupy his husk. It was just all of a sudden he saw the ceiling of what he recognized to be the waiting room. Tell me how you can recognize a ceiling <laughs> and say, I'm in the waiting room. I guess if it was like the waiting room was like, you know, distinct, right? Well, we've never seen the top of that. That could be like, uh, I don't know, some, some big mural up there or exactly. something. <laughs> it's the top of the set. It's the top of the set with stage lights. Yeah. <laughs> top of the blue screen. But that also tells that the fact that he recognizes it, it tells us the fact that the waiting room was always a part of the architecture of the project. Like there was always meant to be a leapy, which is cool. Yeah, maybe it has a bunch of blinky lights. <laughs> Look like Ziggy or something. A bunch of colored cubes. Speaking of the architecture, the imaging chamber's meant to be a minute underground by lift. How deep is the imaging chamber? <laughs> a minute? How far does a lift go in a minute? I mean, that's that's deep. The accelerator's got to be buried, right? If it's going to be like a like a ring accelerator, like you would have at uh, like CERN or BNL. Yeah. So those are usually pretty deep. Although. There's another book, and I know, I know, I know they're all in their own universes, but I, there's another book that establishes that um, the waiting room is 10 floors underground. So if you compare the two, that, that means that every time Al goes from one to the other, he's got to get from the waiting room 10 floors underground down to the imaging chamber, which is a minute underground, which is, has got to be 
a lot further down than 10 floors. You can go 10 floors in like, what, 20 seconds or so? Maybe a bit longer than that. But I, yeah, why would, why are they not on the same floor? Basically is what I'm saying. Or is the lift so slow it does take a minute to get 10 floors? Well, the lift is like, it's like 10 by 8. It's like a room. So. If you go with search and rescue, then it's like, there's a window in there though. <laughs> Lightning and shit. <laughs> so what's the truth? They're all different universes. We're just in the Zixer universe, so we have to yeah. accept it. Yeah. I don't like thinking too much about how the project looks, because if we'd seen the entirety of it, it probably would have been pretty boring, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's a government facility, right? So we saw yeah. we saw the sexy part. We saw we saw the control room and the waiting room. The waiting room is already boring. It's just a blue screen. A <laughs> exactly. blue screen with a mirror in it. Pretty a blue cool screen with a, with a little table in it. Yeah. Yeah. That Al can uh, conveniently lie down on when Dr. Ruth gives him therapy. Yeah. Did this happen before or after what happened in this book? We know it's at least season four because he remembers the chimp leap. Yeah. I mean, I I looked at it as it had to take place after Starcrossed or the leap back based on some of the Donna stuff they said. I forgot that he had referenced the chimp. So yeah, it's got to be it's got to be after Diaper Monkey at least. Yeah, but it's like during an alternate timeline where he didn't marry Donna, so Donna doesn't have to be written into the book. <laughs> They're also, they, they refer to the Zigster as she a couple of times, which isn't definitive, but should place it during season five. And it's gimmicky, so that also places oh, it for in season sure. five. Yeah. <laughs> and then the one page that just wrote out the remix season five theme, just all completely, like, they spell out how it should be performed, that should tell you that it was season mm. five. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like, do kind of a zingy, rappy version. <laughs> now, pretend you had it's a high really school rap. band and every instrument needed a part. That's the season five theme. <laughs> Get some more triangle in there. Don't forget yeah. about me. <laughs> <laughs> so there, yeah. Oh, wow. So, I mean, you know, guys, that I love to, you know, argue with Allison about mind versus body leap. This one was obviously a mind leap. But yeah. the fact that it was a mind leap robbed us of what could have been the best moment of the book when Sam is fighting Sam a la Superman 3 Battle Royale <laughs> and they finally touch and you're waiting for them to morph and recognize each other and oh no we can't do that because this is a soul leap they could have done that isn't that what the new series does where it's like you can just see them anyway even though it's a mind thing I'm talking about the leaper recognizing the leaper so you have to assume that there's a body back there to recognize. And this this book goes out of its way to say that it's just the mind, the mind, the mind, the mind. Yeah, but I mean, if you're... <laughs> okay, never mind. I won't go into it. <laughs> I, well, I, to, I, and I, without going too deep into the new series stuff, but I mean, the new series stuff just explains it as, well, look, she, she's in uh, a, a hologram chamber so that the computer can make anyone look like anyone they want. It's a face swap, basically. It's deep fake stuff. Yeah, but doesn't Ben know what Martinez looks like? <sighs> oh, yeah, good point, actually. Yes. I thought you were talking about Addison. My bad. No. But, I mean, yeah, they could have had the two Sams fight. They had him fight at the end, like the, the front of the book. Yeah, yeah. But so that's what I was waiting for them to, to grab each other and recognize each other, you know? Well, they could have done that earlier in the book. They don't interact until the last 20 pages. You don't know if they would have recognized each other, but they could have because that would have been really interesting. Like one Sam hunting down the other Sam and like his inner monologue about, you know, what he thinks about like, oh, no, am I really this bad? Or, oh, I've just been a wiener goody two shoes this whole time. Like they could have done anything with that, but they don't. Yeah, but the thing is to have Sam stare at himself and each one of them loathe the other one for one specific reason or another and just have that visceral face to face. I hate you. I hate you. Yeah, they could have done that. They didn't. I, I feel like they didn't because under the strictures of the original series, that's what I'm going with here. If it's a mind leap, then there there is no opportunity for that. So I think you're just making that up in your head. <laughs> this is my retconning for why it didn't happen in the book. I think it's just because they dropped the ball on a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I think they had a deadline and then like, you know, Laura had to finish this. I don't blame her for it. I just <laughs> think like it didn't come together because there was either a deadline or because the pitch was not something that she thought of. Whatever the reason was, uh, I think it was just the idea wasn't fully fleshed out because no one was really fully committed to the idea. 
Yeah, it, it seems like, I don't know if it was written by committee or written under duress or maybe all of those things, you know, it was just, it, it became a chore instead of uh, a labor of art. And I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how, I don't know how much to take this book to task for what it is. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I want to know who is responsible for the sandwich sex scene. Gross. Because whoever wrote about the, the, them eating sandwiches and then having sex and like Sam slurping mayo off her nose, that's one of the grossest sex scenes I've ever read. And uh, I didn't want to actually reread that. I could have done without rereading that part of the book. TBH. <laughs> that's fair. I did have that in my notes. And oof, I, yeah, it was just, I don't know. I I wish I could tell you, but you know it's good. Wade's a good guy now. He's so good he wants to slurp mayonnaise off your greasy nose. So, yeah. and then he's gonna go Gross. dump. He's gonna go dump like you know chemical weapons into a crevasse and cause a million deaths. And Sam doesn't give <laughs> a shit. Yeah, I don't think we explain <laughs> this well enough to to the listeners here. The whole if you, if you haven't the, read the, the actual <laughs> plot, you mean what <laughs> happens with the plot of this? It's not just evil twins. The evil twin is working for a company that dumps a bunch of waste and shit uh, into the desert and they dump for like other companies like they like switch with each other so that like they won't get caught by uh, these environmental do-gooders that uh, the good Sam's part of so he's got this uh, truck full of weapons like nuclear weapons and tear gas and all this other like bad stuff that he dumps right uh, at a fault line, <laughs> and then years down the line, there's an earthquake, which causes these weapons to go off, and, like, two million people are killed or injured. It's like a holocaust, is what they explain it like. There's an environmental holocaust, and why did they throw Al out of the story? He loves the environment. <laughs> he should have been like, oh, the environment's so good, they're gonna louse up the place. <laughs> Those sons of bitches. Yeah, I don't think it was nuclear. It was like chemical weapons and stuff. Chemical like weapons. You know, it was enough that like two million people were altered forever or dead. Al said it was a case of who got it worse, those who died or those who survived. That's how bad yeah. the, the stuff was, yeah. This might have been – sorry, I just, just want to catch this before we lose it because it might have been something that I glossed over because I was definitely skimming this towards the end. But what what is the logic exactly between everyone switching stuff so that they don't get caught? Because surely if, if – if they were all carrying bad shit and they're still carrying bad shit, it's just different people's bad shit. Isn't the risk the same that the environmental do-gooders will find them and go, oh, you're carrying bad... They're not going to go, oh, oh, that's not the bad shit we were expecting to find. We'll just leave you alone. Well, I guess the point is the trail ends at the people that... Like, if Company A has this bad stuff and then company b takes that and they swap and then the fbi or what the environmental protection agency or whatever uh comes in to investigate company a and then they say you they have these blank stuff and they go and they don't have them uh then the trail ends there they don't know to go to company b so is bad stuff being switched with good stuff? I thought it was bad stuff being switched no, with no, other no, bad not, stuff. No, no, they're not switching it with good stuff or bad stuff. It's just they're taking each other's loads at different times so that when they investigate them, they don't know to investigate this other seemingly unrelated company to find the stuff that they're supposedly getting rid of. Oh, so they're not actually even necessarily doing direct switches. It's more passing one to the other and then they... Yeah, right. I think they just it. pass okay. it off at Thank different you. times to confuse them and then they don't know who to investigate or what. No, that's fine. That's that's fair. The company also has a legitimate face of cleaning, like chemical stuff, and getting rid of hazardous waste. So there's probably some legit business that they can use as a front. Yeah, like they're not just like a Captain Planet villain that just creates pollution. Like they have other business stuff going on. Yeah, it just seemed like then they were playing a shell game with all of their. They were using that front to hide the worst of the dumping, and that's why they could never find it because they would pull the old switcheroo every time. So, I mean, as as far as anything being thought out in this book, that's as well thought out as anything else. So, maybe even more. I kind of love this though because it's so ridiculously cartoony that like I I just really like I can get into that. Like, I don't think this was a good book, but when you think about, like, the plot of it, it's so silly. It's so, like, oh no, a, an earthquake causes all these chemical weapons to go off and causes an apocalypse, basically. Like, <laughs> like I can enjoy that. I wish most of the book had just gone for it, rather than just kind of spinning their wheels. 
Or their rig, right? Their big rig. Yeah, spinning the wheels of the rig. Dun, dun, you know? dun. Like there could have been something interesting here. Uh, I know I've, I've said this many times. I'm as repetitious as the book is, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it, like I, I enjoy the idea of it a lot because like it's like if you pitch this idea to me and you're like, okay, there's a book where Sam leaps into twins and he splits into two people and one of them's good and one of them's evil. I'm like, I'm gonna read this book instantly. And I read the book <laughs> and I was a little disappointed. It's like the Bigfoot episode where it's not really about Bigfoot. It's like you promised me Bigfoot. <laughs> You give me Bigfoot. Well, I mean, we did get two Sams. So the fact that we're repeating ourselves, do you think maybe we start giving some final thoughts yeah. on? <laughs> D- did we want to talk at all about the uh, the gun-toting thugs and the big fight with them at the end? Did that matter? <laughs> did it? <laughs> do you want to talk about them? <laughs> they had a fight over at, by the, the brig, and then there's a fire, and there's two hitmen gun guys. They got a fight. The two Sams have to team up. Because the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and don't trust anyone, not even yourself, but then you can trust yourself in a fight. I don't know. <laughs> Double the Sams. <laughs> I mean, that to me just, that that struck as, you know, third act twist. Like, oh, you know, you're going to have the thug, so you have to introduce something that gets Sam to work with other Sam, right? Someone to fight other yeah, than, than themselves. Not pollute, don't pollute. <laughs> yeah. That's the way I saw that. And it's just perfunctory stuff to help plot stuff go along. You know what I mean? I wrote them down because they were two of the very few named characters in the book besides Sam and Al and everybody we know back at the project, just as a courtesy <laughs> to all of us in case we want to talk. Those were Eddie and Skinner. Okay, for everybody listening. I have Eddie as gun-toting thug and Skinner as gun-toting ne'er-do-well. I do like your description of Wade slash Ward, a shit. Well, that's what they call him right at the beginning of the book. It's like chapter one. <laughs> You're not wrong. There's all these other people, like there's these um, all these scientists and professors that like uh, the Mark version of Sam talks to, and they were all so boring. I could not care less about all their stupid professor jokes that they make to each other, and then they get together to have snacks, and there's only one of them even matters because he, he's the one that goes on the like sting with him or whatever. Mm. And then we don't even get to see them get caught. Like, it's like uh, they get caught by the thugs and then the good Sam gets brought in all like beat up. And it's like, once again, any of the interesting parts you don't see. Yeah, it's like smash cut to um, bad Sam in a jail cell with good Sam visiting him. And now Mm -hmm. Ward is even more of a hero because he foiled the evil plan. Again, when Wade Ward gets back, Ward Wade, and (laughs) finds out, number one, he's in prison. And number two, his big payday is now gone. And number three, the wife that he can't stand expects him to be like this loving husband. I mean, we have just the makings of a disaster here. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the ones where it ends and you know that Sam made the, the people's life worse on the leap. <laughs> I mean, like, he did stop the whole, like, uh, polluting stuff, but uh, they didn't come out better in the end, his family. <laughs> no. They painted as them coming out better, but it's so glossed over. And, yeah, I, I, that to me is still just, like, the biggest sticking point to the book. Everything else is just, like, you know, goofy fantasy, quantum leap uh, light, basically, but I... Yeah, this I still I, I'm never going to be able to reconcile the Ward Wade return, and <laughs> I guess they didn't care about it either. I mean, again, just that cursory that cursory nod at the very end, saying they somehow make it. Well, how does <laughs> they somehow make it? Yeah, that's because Betty stabs him, and he can't beat her up anymore. I mean, they, well, they yeah. made it. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, uh, the son Taylor that was uh, protecting his mom just went like, "Yeah, screw this guy," and then they left. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to find out unless they write uh, double or nothing two, doubler or nothinger. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing double for Sam's. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> I forgot to mention this just to get back. I know we've been giving people shit, but Laura was so sweet to me. Um, I have an inscription in this book. Like uh, I met Laura at one of the East Leaps, like I met Liz. And uh, I guess I had sold my book at this point because she wrote, Chris, you're ready to leap now. Lauren Gilman, 1995. How nice. So, and she, yeah, she inscribed at East Leap 95. I have, give me a second, because I have Pulitzer right here. And that was. Oh, no, they were both East Leap 95. I met Liz and. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. I met them both at the same con. Anywho, I got nothing left. 
about Double or Nothing. Shall we wrap into some final thoughts? Matt, why don't we start with you? Oh, yeah, I just, I I really in the mood now to watch Star Trek Enemy Within, because it just does it so much better. And, it, and it, honestly, talking about it, I might watch that tonight. Uh, the the book itself, I'm I'm glad to hear that my assumptions about the background of the book were somewhat right, albeit the wrong way around, because it, it just, it makes a lot more sense as to why why this book does what it does. Um, it's... It's a great idea, badly executed. Ah, oh, that's fair. How about you, Alison? Uh, yeah, this I don't think this was a, a good book. It's an interesting book. <laughs> um, like I, I, like you guys said, I don't think that it was executed very well, but there are some intriguing parts to it. Uh, I think things just didn't come together because of circumstances outside of the author's control. It was kind of torn between two people <laughs> so <laughs> torn between two leapers feeling yeah. like a fool <laughs> yeah i mean i i am going to go all in with you guys on this one i like i said i i, I think the book ultimately tried to do something very interesting but it turned into like a very heavy-handed allegory for uh the two minds of sam beckett i mean we have one scene where sam is literally lost alone wandering in a desert bereft and it's just like, okay, we get it. You know, we get it. And so it's just like, and it was just like such heavy handed stuff masquerading as like this deep character study when it really wasn't. I mean, I, I think there was good stuff to mine, like you guys said, but um, ultimately none of it resonated for me. And that's mm. a shame because it's it's such a neat premise. It's such a really cool idea. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad they did it. I just wish that it had been done differently. So yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that closes the book on double or nothing. And uh, this is usually the time when I throw to some feedback. Um I don't think we have any feedback. Uh did you guys find anything? <laughs> Yeah, I, there was one guy. I, I I can address this. There was one person um, who gave us a review. Um, I think he had given Werewolf Werewolf and some numbers. He gave us a review once before too, on um, iTunes and uh, five stars. Thank you very much. But he said, Thanks. "I I like I like the." Um, <laughs> I love I love the the banter and the conversations, but no more interview shows because, as you guys are aware, <laughs> I have I have to fill in the off weeks. Been doing sort of interview redo shows where I'm featuring interviews that didn't make it onto the podcast from the revival series of all the guest stars that we've done and all the hard work that Albie and Matt really just they went all out on that. And I want everybody to be able to benefit from that who maybe don't watch the YouTube channel or just haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it maybe you can listen to some of these great interviews with all these guest stars we have a million of them and um to which i'll say i think it's worth something because i feel like we're keeping our foot in both sides of the classic and the revival series and uh, the revival series coming back so i want to keep us in in that world and the other thing is that um you know, you don't have to listen to them. Either way, if I wasn't putting those things out, we'd only be doing a classic show once every other week because that's just the way my schedule is. So listen, if if, if those aren't your bag, just delete them off your feed, you know, but I'm going to keep putting them out because I think it's important to share um, all of the amazing work that uh, Matt and Albie did. And I can't thank either of you guys enough for um, really, you know, bringing it. And also, Matt, thank you for having all of these great comic interviews and um, some interviews with some of the authors. I can't wait to, you know, play those as we come to their books and as we come to their comics. So nice. interviewing has always been a very integral part of the show. And I felt like we really dropped the ball on that. And that's mainly because of me, because of the way I was producing it. And it's ever since Albie got back involved and Matt became more involved, we picked that standard back up. And I feel it was a very important part of the show for a lot of us when we first got into the podcast. So that dynamic is back now. I want to celebrate it. So so sorry yeah. if you don't like it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you out there would like to tell us what you think about Double or Nothing or any of the interview shows or anything else related to the Quantum Leap podcast, there are many ways that you can get in touch with us, you can write us a letter at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, 
New York 11705. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumleappod or Instagram at quantumleappodcast. And you can see our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast. You can also go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. Just remember, we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Uh, Matt, I usually ask you what's next at this point, but I don't know yet. I put up the poll earlier today (gasps) to see where we're going to leap next, and I haven't checked the results. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at what has won. Are we going to be singing Burn, Baby, Burn in a moment? (laughs) We might. (laughs) I might even join in with that. Let me refresh. Let me refresh the feed. It's the Forbidden Disco? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Let's take a look. Opening up now. (gasps) Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Come on. Disco Inferno eked it out by a nose. Forbidden Disco episode, baby! Excellent. Burn, baby, burn. Yeah. Thou We came, guys, we came this close to Thou Shalt Not. I mean, Thou Shalt Not's not going to be far off anyway, is it? We're like one, two, three, six six episodes away from that now. It'll come up in the rotation eventually. (laughs) Thank you, Allison, for recalling that time I was a dick. That was such a good impression of Chris. I actually thought that was Chris just then. <laughs> it's uncanny. I've actually started naming the Thou Shalt Not on our poll as fan favorite Thou Shalt Not because. Fan <laughs> favorite being me. As you say. So, all right. So, yeah, we get to go back to the 70s next time and uh, see Sam as a stuntman. So, oh, that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Um, until that time, I've been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time on the dance floor. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Greg Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. Guys, I'm sorry. I think I, I haven't listened to it because obviously I don't. Um, I feel like I was very flat during Pulitzer. I was just kind of, I don't know. I, I like the book, but I felt I turned up to the podcast a bit tired and uninterested so i apologize if it came across that way i'm a little bit more energetic today fingers crossed i don't think it came across that way i think you were fine oh that means that i'm always flat and dull then okay fine (laughs) yes that's what i meant yes well i mean i didn't want to say it but allison she just says what we're all thinking right (laughs) so telling it like it is Everybody rolling? Because yeah. I am not. Mm-hmm. Oh, I am. I am. Minute, minute. Okay. All right. Let's get this show on the road. There are the notes. All right. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Wait, Christopher Wait, do we Diefel- need to do the, the clapping? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess we do. <laughs> Thank you, all. It'll help like you shot- out in editing later. <laughs> I'm like shot out of a cannon. All right. Clapping in three, two, one. Okay, uh, start number two. Second time's the charm, because it's double or nothing. See what I did there? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> hey.
Torn between two leapers, feeling like a fool.